Welcome back to the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message, Bloody Hands, from Ezekiel, chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. One of the greatest potential tragedies in all the Bible is found in the book of Ezekiel. God uses the example of a sentry who neglects to do his duty. Though he sees the danger, he fails to warn the people, counting on him. God uses that to warn us, his people, that we must be faithful in evangelizing our world. The Christian musician Carmen once said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of sinners. Here's Pastor Tim. And so the caution for us is real. The caution is real. The caution against not being derelict. The, the, the caution against allowing fear to make you disobedient. I think about the quote that I read one time that says, there is somebody waiting to hear about Jesus on the other side of your fear. If you can just get past that, if we can just get past that, we know that the caution is there. If they hear and heed that warning, then the Bible says that all heaven rejoices when one sinner turns in repentance. But if you share Christ with somebody, they will not hear. They will not heed. They will not bend. And they've made that decision of their own volition. Not choosing Christ is the same thing as rejecting Christ. And they will spend eternity paying for that. They will spend eternity in hell. And kind of like they'll say, they've rowed their own boat to get there. You tried to warn them, and they wouldn't listen. And the blood, the accountability, is on their own hands. But if you don't warn them, if I don't warn them, if I won't tell them the truth, they're still going to die in their sins. They're still going to spend eternity in hell paying for that penalty. And they, they've still rowed their own boat to get there. Don't, don't miss that. It's still their own issue, right? They rowed their own boat, but I handed them the oars. I made it so much easier for them to go their own way because I didn't want to bother them. I didn't, I, I didn't want to hear no. I didn't, I didn't want them to talk about me behind their backs. Their blood is on our hands, is what verse 8 says. He says, His blood I will require at your hand. What does that mean? It means that we are culpable. We're culpable. That's, <clears throat> that is the message of Ezekiel 33. 
God will hold us accountable for what we do and what we do not do with the gospel. God said through Isaiah, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot even bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. We discover that the vast majority of us have never shared our faith with somebody that they believe to be lost. I can't help but say that that is a description then of us. Caution is real. If you're looking for some good news, here's some. The culpability can be removed. You want to have clean unbloodied hands, you want the culpability, the accountability removed, then be faithful. Be faithful as God's watchman. Look in verse number 9. He says that if you will do that, notice what he says, you have delivered your soul, not his, yours. That person may receive Christ if you tell them. Their soul is saved for all of eternity. And you don't lose out on any reward. But if you don't tell them, I lose out on everything. But if I will, I'm not saying lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, he says, if you will warn them, you have delivered your soul. Paul said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I cannot help but think that Paul has Ezekiel 33 in mind when he's, when he's writing that. That spiritual watchman, that's who we are, and that's our commission. So number three, the singular watchman must be our commitment. The singular watchman must be our commitment. We need that same kind of single-minded focus that Paul has when it comes to evangelism. Would that we would, would, that we would feel like he does when he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Or like Jeremiah said, when he says, his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I could not. Or maybe like Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, and they say, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. There's got to come a point at some point where we recognize what our real responsibility is and we're so committed to it that we can't do anything else but that. It reminds me of these two things, these two truths that I would pass on to you tonight to help you, to encourage you to keep that commitment of being a single-minded watchman. We'll remind you, first of all, that you are his mouthpiece. You are God's mouthpiece. Remember, he said to Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, 
you will say this for me to them. Well, that's what we're doing. Let's pick it up. Let's pick up where we left off. Look at verse number 10. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? You say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Ninety-three times in this little book, Ezekiel is referred to as the Son of Man. At the beginning of each one of our sections tonight, in verse number 2, in verse number 7, verse number 10, each one of those times he refers to him as the Son of Man, reminding us that we have those same duties to do as Christ, the Son of Man, did. He continues to tell him this. This is what you are to say. That's the change that we see when we get to verse number 10. I mean, he keeps telling them, you know, say this to them, do this, make sure that you warn them. But verse number 10 and 11, he says, you say this. Let me give you these words. To give you the words themselves. He says, say to the house of Israel. He says, thus you shall say. He says in verse 11, say to them. You are God's mouthpiece. You are God's spokesman. You are God's ambassador, his representative. God told Moses, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I need that promise. God said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall Speak. God said to Jeremiah, Everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. God said to Isaiah, I have put my words in your mouth. Even Jesus, of all people who had all authority, said, The Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say. And what I should speak. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them what you need to hear, what I need to hear. Do not worry about how or what you should answer. For what you should say, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Have you ever had that happen? Find yourself in a situation, you know that you need to share Christ with somebody, but you don't even know how to break the ice. You don't know how to turn the conversation. And suddenly, the things that are coming out of your mouth seem as if they were put there from somebody else. Maybe they were. You were his mouthpiece. And as such, you have to speak. Have you ever heard the line, it's a famous line, about, um, about always preaching And the line goes, and if necessary, use words. It's necessary. Don't think that it's not. Don't think that your good example 
is the same thing as sounding the warning. Don't think that loving them with kindness is the same thing as giving them warning. You have to speak. You have to say. Jesus said that we would be fishers of men. How many fish have been influenced into a boat? None. They've been caught. And that's what we're to do. So I need to be reminded I'm his mouthpiece. Number two, maybe you need motivation. Maybe, maybe what we all need is a good dose of motivation. If it's a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, maybe it's a spoonful of perspective that helps the motivation rise up. Maybe that's what I need. So, so look back in verse number 10. What, is, what are they asking? You know, they're saying if we're rotting away in our sins, how can we live? By the way, that word that, or we got it as two words, pine away. is one word, it means to decay, to dissolve, to rot. So he's saying, here we are as a people who are sinners. And we are rotting away. How can we live? You, you want to you shorten the question? Here's the question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for a person like me? Is there any hope for a person who's done what I've done? And the answer is yes, and that's where he gets to when he comes down to verse number 11. It is the condition of that lost person that should motivate me. Unless he repents, he will die in his sins and pay for that penalty. Makes me think about the rich man in hell. Begging, pleading with God and with Abraham to send somebody, anybody... If he won't send Lazarus, then send somebody back to my brothers to warn them not to come to this place of torment. In my ear somewhere deep down in there. You know, I, I, I hear Melvin saying, Tim, there are nine more people. Go tell them. And I've talked to a few, but I've not even talked to all nine today. Maybe what I need is a good dose of eternal perspective on the condition of a lost man. But I think there's a greater motivation. You know, some, somebody's going to walk out of here and say, man, he's just trying to guilt trip me. Guilt never motivates. It's a terrible motivator. God's love is a great motivator. So if I'm not moved by the condition or the predicament of the lost, maybe I can be moved by the pleasure of the Lord. Look at verse number 11. It's the second point of Motivation. I mean, some people see God as some kind of, uh, of, of sacred sadist who sits up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike us down. He can't wait and takes great pleasure in punishing us. 
That's not what this says. He says it very plainly. Look at what he says in verse 11. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Do they deserve it? Yes. Yes, they deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve it. Does that please God to exact his punishment on them? No. So what is his pleasure? We'll keep reading there in verse number 11. Here's the pleasure. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Peter put it like this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. People can be turned around. So our message has to be the message of them. And do you hear the urgency? Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Give them a chance to respond. Give them a chance. Ask them the question. Maybe the same question that's here. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Not one person has to go to hell. Not today, not one person. Not one person in your family, not one person among your friends. They don't have to. You say, yeah, but what's God going to use to turn them around? A watchman. A watchman who from his tower sees and understands the danger and sounds the call. In 1869, Fanny Crosby, that famous blind hymn writer, met a man at a rescue mission in New York City. He had come to her and confessed to her that he had wanted to see his mother in heaven, but understood that for him it was too late. That because of what he'd done, he had no hope of ever going to heaven. So she shared Christ with him, and he received Christ that very night. Saved his life, saved his soul. And that night she went home and she wrote these lyrics. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. But it's the last verse, that's the verse that I need to hear. Maybe it's the last verse that you need to hear. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way. Patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Do it and clean your hands. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Is there anybody who comes to your mind immediately, whom you know needs to know Jesus. 
I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to know the condition of their heart because you're not. But you suspect. You see the fruit of their life. You know they need to be saved. Would you ask God to help you? Strength for thy labor. The Lord will provide. Ask Him. Ask Him for opportunity. Ask Him for boldness. Peter and John did. And then watch what God does. Father, I confess to you tonight, just as I have to these people, that my hands are as dirty and as bloody and as awful as anybody's hands could be. I know that you have forgiven me. I hear this warning. I don't want my hands that you've made clean to have blood on them again. Father, show me those opportunities. Help me to see. And help me to respond in obedience immediately. Bless us as your people, your church. Not willing that one of our family members, not willing that one of our friends, not willing that even a stranger that we come into contact with would ever perish, but that every one of them would come to repentance. We pray that you would use us to that end. Father, do your work. Spirit of God, do your work. Jesus, Thank you for doing your work. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This year at Brit David, we would like to challenge you to join us in reading through the Bible in a year. This is a great and rewarding way to start your day. If you would like a copy of the reading plan, you can request a copy at churchoffice at brittdavid.org. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.